0: Well good morning Cornerstone, I uh, hope all of you are doing well, I hope all of you kind of in the midst of uh, just life that you're not losing your focus on Jesus. I don't know how many of you were able to be with us last week for Easter, but I think the one thing that stuck out to me as we were coming home was was definitely just the thrill of worshiping Jesus and celebrating the day that he he blasted down the doors of, of death and and became... This, this one who triumphed over all things, and, and I loved that. But I think even just for us, and I don't know how you felt, but it felt kind of like a family reunion. It just felt good to pull the family back together. I know a lot of you weren't able to make it because of spring break, but man, I just it was such a great morning. And so, thank you all. Love all of you. Now here's, here's where, where I want to go this morning to kind of, if we were kind of outline, what is it that, that we're trying to accomplish? Well, the first thing I want to get after is I want to try to connect the two series that we've had before that we did way back, the 100 days, then we did these 70 days, to this series that we're about ready to jump into today. Now, if you can kind of imagine it for a second, now I'm not a hockey player, so just just go with me for a little bit on this, is that imagine this in three periods, and we've finished the second period, and we're kind of coming into the locker room, and so maybe if you're more of a football guy or a basketball person, this is the time in which we're going to kind of have just maybe maybe a halftime talk, and I, I want to just slow down. That's even kind of why I want to just sit down this morning. I want to just kind of talk as a as a shepherd that that cares for this church that loves what God's doing through this church but also as a shepherd that I believe God has called us to something amazing. And what I'm going to kind of do and even though it's cheesy and, and I don't know why I've been using words lately but just just go with me. I want to I want to grab three words to kind of help us kind of drive into our memory not only where we've been but also where we're going. And so the first word I'm gonna throw out there is just this idea of gym. That'll that'll kind of represent the first series. So not Jim like the person gym, but G-Y-M, Jim. The second one that I want to look at is is jazz. And that kind of is kind of inca- encapsulates the, the second series. And the last one that I want to look at is this word gem. And we're gonna talk about what that means fully and where we're trying to go. But get them in your head. So we've got this idea of the gym, we've got the jazz. And then we've got the gym. So that's where we're going to be going. Now, I don't know how many of you can remember this, but, but back in September when we started our first series, it, it just had a, a unique feel to it. I think everything was kind of colliding by the time we got to September, all the things from, that have happened with the virus to the injustice to just the political upheaval and then when I looked around, not only at, at our church, but I feel like just a lot of churches, it just seemed like all of us were in this state of just being gripped by fear. If, if I'm honest with you, I felt it on many levels. But it's not only that I think we were, we were maybe gripped by fear, but I, I just sensed this idea of the church losing their heads, losing our heads in so many ways. It had been so long of us being alone, we were unsure, and the thing that we needed to do, and I think what the scriptures always call us to do, when we, when we hit that point, when we're not sure what to do, we just go back to the basics. And so that's exactly what we did. We needed to, to be the church that was ready for the world in which we found ourselves. But in the midst of it, when you're not sure what to do, you just always go back to the basics. And that really encapsulated that first 100 days. Now, the verse that we use to kind of set us off in motion is 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your, your iPad, if you've got your phone, if you've got whatever it is that you've got, you can go to 1 Timothy 4. And let me just read these two verses to you to kind of maybe launch us off to remind us again kind of where we've come from. In verse 7, Paul just, he said this, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, this verse, I think, just speaks boldly into it because it comes out with this idea of a irreverent or silly miz. In other words, getting caught up in the absolute wrong things. I think when we look at that time, there was COVID, like I said, there was injustice, the elections. And the other thing that began to kind of peek its ugly head up was just paranoia around so many different like conspiracy theories. Instead, I think like our heart was not to get caught up in those things. So instead of going down that path into the friction and the fighting that was going on inside of our, our culture at the time, The whole heart of what Paul was talking about with Timothy here, who's in the similar spot and where we were, is we needed to embrace the high calling. And he calls it this idea of training in godliness. So what we, we're doing here is, is we're going to focus in on one thing. We're going we're gonna to pull ourselves back and kind of see the forest for the trees. And as we see the forest for the trees, we're going to regather ourselves. And where our focus is going to go is not all the things that are kind of all over the place. But we want to focus right now, not in an escape way or a hide way, on the things that matter most. The things that God wants us to do. And he says, I want you to train yourself for it. Now, Here's, here's where our word gym comes in, and this is why I've chosen this word. That word gym, anytime you, you, you think about it, this word training, it, 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 it develops into and becomes our word gymnasium. And anytime you think of the word gymnasium, you think sweat, you think hard work. And so, what we focused in on when we were training for godliness, if you remember right, was we were gonna focus on the spiritual disciplines, we were gonna focus on those God given practices or habits from Scripture. But the reason that we were doing it is is because we wanted to engage in these practices so that we might be drawn into the pathway and presence of God. In all of the things going on, what we needed most was just a moment where we came in and we put ourselves near to him, which is what God always wants. He wants us to be near to him, to know him, to, to allow us to know that, that he loves us. But I would instigate this so that we might capture his heart and his purposes, so that we know how to engage, so that we might make those very things that our own. And so, what these practices were intended to do was, and the way that I would frame it is, is as we work at them and endeavor at them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Is it increases our likelihood just to be near him? And so what I called us to, and what all the other guys I spoke to that we called ourselves to was to intentionally place ourselves in the best position that we could to take on the character of our God that we were pursuing after. See, that's why Paul says next, he says it's it's for godliness. Our whole heart in, in, in pursuing God in that way is we wanted to have our aim be the aim that the scriptures play out all the time within him, and, and it begins, I think, with just a reverence and an awe for God knowing that he is the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the ruler of all things. The nearer that we draw to him, we're reminded that in the midst of a chaotic world, he is in absolute control. And as we're near him, as we, as we listen to him through like primarily his word, as we, as we talk to him, speak to him through prayer, as we, as we then go about and obey, carry out those things that he's called us to do that flow from his character, as we do it with other people, something amazing happens to us. And this is the kind of the key of godliness. We take on his character. Now, again, I, I don't want you to say we, we're, we're not God. God. But we know that we were created in his image. That's the whole point of Genesis 1. When God created humankind, we were created in his image. We're designed in such a way to take on his character. And as the Holy Spirit began to do a work in us, as we begin to train in this, and I hate this, but just go with me, the gem of Jesus Christ, the whole heart was, is that we would take on the character of God. Now, I don't know if you remember it in that time, but there was a question that I kept throwing back at us all the time. Who do you want to be in a hundred days? Do you remember that? And the whole idea that Paul's talking about here is that it's not only for this life, but the life to come. Is that do you want to be this person who takes on the character of God? In fact, as we moved into our next series who takes on now this movement towards what God is doing, that we might be now taking on the likeness of Christ. Do you want that in your life? Who do you want to be in 100 days? And so that's what that was. And again, just think about it for a second, this idea of the gym. We went in there, we endeavored together, we read scripture. So many people would say, oh, it's like so much scripture, but that's okay. We were working hard and most importantly, these practices that we were engaged in were drawing us near to God so that we might take on his character. That's the first one. Now the second one that we did was kind of encapsulated in this idea of, of what would Jesus do and, and then what would, how do we walk as he walks. Now we did the gym for 100 days and then for 70 days after we'd kind of steadied ourselves for the world in which we live in we decided we were just going to take a close look at the life of Christ from, from the point at which now we, we saw him way back in December until we came to Easter. And in all of that time, we wanted to just focus on him so that we might walk as he did. Now, the reason that that was so important for us, the reason that we needed to do that as a church is that even though now we're, we're drawing near to him, Again, as I looked around at the church, I just saw still so much fear. And in fact, the thing that I saw growing also was almost an anger, a frustration, a a wanting to do something about what's going on in our world. But oftentimes when I looked at myself, I felt like when we looked at Cornerstone, when I looked at the church at large, it just, and I don't know if this makes sense, it just didn't look like Jesus. Jesus. And I didn't want us just to somehow be this group of people that hunkered down and merely survived through it. I wanted us to flourish. And I believe the greatest way for us to flourish is when we're taking on the image that we were saved to take on, which is the image of Jesus Christ. And the guiding text that we use, if you remember right, and Christian kind of kicked this particular series off as he talked about it out of 1 John 2.6. And if you've got your Bibles or, again, your, your, your tablets or your phones, you can go there. But in 1 John 2.6, he just says this, whoever abides in him ought to walk in the way in which he walked. Now, that word abide really does play back into our first hundred days where We just decided to remain and to stay and to stand fast. We wanted to be made ready for the world in which we lived in. That's what we did. But the thing I love about what happens in 1 John 2, 6 is it takes what seems to be kind of static and it begins to put action to it. The idea is now, is as we take on the character of God to go and and to live it out, to, to make it real within our lives. See, this idea of walking means to be be moving or to head its head somewhere. And it seems contradictory to put abide, which means to stay and to kind of stand fast with walking. But let me tell you something. This one who wrote it, John, and I love how Christian unpacked this, is that as they remained with Christ, they went wherever Christ went. And they saw him and observed him and, and just kind of took in his life understanding Who Jesus was and how he interacted with people and walked with people and talked with people. In fact, in 1 John, that's one of the things he says is we literally got to see him. We got to be with him. But the question is then, what what does that mean for us? Because I mean, John on that day, Christian did a great job on packing. He watched him ascend to be with the Father. Well, what in the world does that look like now? Well, one of the things that I think is important that Christian was able to unpack is is that because we have the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about in our next series to empower us to to be with us, we now, wherever we go and wherever we walk, we can be like Christ in those moments still. And so what he called us to were, were three things, and he did what I did to kind of put the memory in, but he put in these three things that were three C's to consider To be creative and then to collaborate. In other words, what he wanted us to do is in this moment, and what we tried to do with this series, is just to consider Christ. Now, so many would come up to me and say, You know, I relate better to the Pharisees or I relate better to the apostles. But I think what's so powerful about considering Christ is Christ, no doubt, he is fully God. But in that moment when he enveloped himself in humanity, he became fully human. He too was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he becomes this example that we consider, we we look at his life, we understand his life. And that same spirit that was alive in him is alive in us. That same spirit that Paul talks about in Romans 8 that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And so that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.16 could say we have the mind of Christ because of the spirit. And so we considered him, we studied him. And the whole goal of that time was to catch the rhythm. How did Jesus live his life? How did he interact with people? How did he interact with people he disagreed with? How did he interact with people that were hurt and broken? And all the different things that were going on in the world. How, how did he deal with it? And the idea, and this is where we start coming to jazz. So again, I want you to keep this in your head. There was the gym, but now it's jazz. We're catching the rhythm of how Jesus lived his life. See, we can't go back to the day in which Jesus lived. That's not what we're called. We're not called to live in the first century. We live in the 21st century, which brings us to the second word and why we use this idea of jazz or a Christian did. is because now we need to creatively learn how is it that we as a church are called to live now in this particular time in Simi Valley in 2021. We haven't been called, and this is what I loved about what Christian drew out, we haven't been called now to duplicate what he does. We're not like a bunch of people reenacting the Civil War. But the longer now, if you think about jazz, that we stay in that rhythm and that melody of what Jesus Christ is doing, we now can riff the same song of the great gospel into the world that we live because we understand who Jesus is. We know the music, we know the timing, we know how it fits together, and now we can be the people, just like Jesus was in his time, we can be the body of Christ to the world. But now it's not just that we, in some ways now, go back and we consider, or that we creatively seek how to work it out, but it's not, because des- it's not designed to be done just by myself, man. Man. God has given us the body, the church, the body of Christ now to collaborate together. That's the next one. We're not a solo act, man. We're we're a band. It's a song that's intended to be played in such a way now that when all these things come together, when us as Christ ones begin to live as Christ has called us to live, it becomes this announcement to the world of the greatness of Jesus. And so that's why we looked at him. We studied him, we considered him, we creatively thought how to bring it to life in our world, and now we're left with this collaboration. And so if in the first case we asked the question, okay, so, all right, who do I want to be in 100 days? And the answer is, is I want to to come into that image-bearing reality of looking like Jesus Christ. This one now would be the question, okay, if that's true, how did Christ walk And how do I walk like him in the world in which I live in? How do I image him? How do I display him? How do I represent him well so that others might know Christ? So we have the gym. This idea now in which we're steadying and readying ourselves for the world in which we live. It's jazz. We're kind of learning that cadence of Christ with others. So we might kind of play that triumphant song of the gospel of Christ into our time. But here's where I want to go next. I think this is just a culmination of everything when we talk about this idea of a gem. And we're going to be looking kind of at all of John 14 through 17. And we're going to be wanting us as a church now to be involved in in what God's doing. But I think if you're like me, we want it to matter. And here's where gem comes in. We want it to last We want to do it in such a way that it keeps going and it keeps going until Jesus Christ returns. I mean, when we study the life of Christ, when he initiated this whole push of his gospel being brought into this world, we know that it wasn't intended just to stop with those guys. In fact, the reason that I am speaking to you today, the reason I'm even right now talking about what we're doing is because he intended it to keep going. He intended it to last. Now the text that we're going to look at that's going to kind of be the driving force for where we're going is going to be found in John 15, 16. And let me just, let me just read it to you, if you. Again, if you've got your Bible, your, your, your iPad, your phone, whatever, you can go there with me. But here's what he says in John 15, 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should Abide, it should last, it should remain. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Now, just looking at that particular verse, there's some little key things that I want to draw out that are going to be important to where we're going in this time period. The first one you see there is I chose you. Now, I don't want to get into a theological debate over all these different things. But in this particular case, what he's saying is is that he's referencing the apostles. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I came after you. Now, is he just at this moment just talking about the apostles? Well, we find out later, like in Ephesians 1-4, Paul tells us, no, actually even before the foundations of the world, God chose us. Now what I want you to do with that is, is to understand you, you, you didn't choose Christ, but in this beautiful way, in spite of all of our shortcomings, the ways in which we're evil, the ways in which we are so not likely to be chosen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, God wanted you. You're going to see all throughout John 14-17, through 17, Jesus is going to have these, this Realities when he's praying to the Father in John 17, these are the ones you gave me, Father. Just think about that. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a love gift from the Father to the Son. How powerful is that to realize that the Father chose, but then he, he gave these ones. And then he talks about in John 17 that he, he sanctifies us, cleans us. And we find out one day that the Son is going to, a, as a love gift way, give us right back to the Father in a powerful way. He says, I chose you. I think we're going to learn in John 14 through 17 just how precious we are to the Father and the Son. And we're going to also learn big time in John 14 through 17 the Holy Spirit. But it's not just that he chose us. I love what he says down there. He says, I appointed you in John like or in Acts 17 when Paul is is preaching away on the Areopagus he he wanted them to know, every single person there, did you understand, he was saying to them, that God in his sovereign plan of everything that he was doing chose how the, the nations would be situated together and the people that would be a part of those nations, the time in which you would live. I mean, in some ways, it's just mind-bending to understand. But not only did he choose us, but he placed us in a time and a place that was unique and appointed. That's what he's talking about here. Now again, he's talking about the apostles, but if you expand it out, it was bigger. It was was all those that would come. That's one of the truths we're going to learn, like in John 17. He made us his very own, what we talked about. And and this idea of appointed is he he set us aside. He kind of 1 Corinthians 6.11, he made us holy, special, unique, not because of anything in us, but because he chose us and his son then did it within us. He placed all of us together for a special purpose in a church. This Last Sunday, man, as I was just looking out from this lobby over here, and I'm looking at all these people that were out there, that we were singing songs and hearing testimonies. Before I came out to speak, I was just choked up. Like, have you ever thought about how crazy it is that God took all of us from different places, I mean, who would ever think that you would have a pastor from some far off land called Wyoming that was going to come and be your shepherd and but yet he he put us all together he appointed us to our time and our place he chose us he put us now as a part of this particular local church and then to kick it all off which becomes such a huge reality within John 14 through 17 he gave us his holy spirit as a reminder like in you see like in Ephesians 1 13 through 14 a reminder of his love that we we truly are his kids, that we, we no doubt have this inheritance that's set apart for us. But to empower us also to join his mission. He didn't just rescue us and set us aside and place his life, our love on us, and, and, and make us his very own and give us his Holy Spirit as a reminder and then empower us because we're bored. He has a mission. And last week, I hope you caught it, the end of this mission, the the intent and the goal of where everything is moving. Jesus promised in John 14, just so that we would understand, he is going to prepare a special forever place. And this special new forever place would now be filled with people like us that though we 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 aren't fully now what we are going to be one day, but God is creating in with inside of us a new and forever us that will enjoy him forever. Man. Loaded into this idea now of what John is talking about, or what Jesus is saying to the guy, sorry, what John is writing is this grand reality. I think the thought that started coming to my mind when, we were, we were, when I was thinking about this, this idea of what we're about ready to enter into, this special thing that God has called us to, to join him in, in, in this, this mission that matters, this mission that will last, is we've been given everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. And in John 14 through 17, this is why I want us to know We have everything we need no matter what the world might throw at us. And even built into this idea of what's been appointed is the great commission, the call of Jesus, this one who has authority over all things who says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to to hold fast to all that I have commanded you And again, almost to just make sure we get it, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. I think when you look down in in verse 16, I think this is why it's so important. He says, I've appointed you, now catch this. And it really is tied into Matthew 28, that you should go and bear fruit. We're to go and and bring to life his life in our world. Specifically, you're going to see this over and over through it. This fruit that we're going to bear is in the lives of people. Now there's three thoughts I, I want you to keep in your mind as we keep going through John 14 through 17. Of Okay, so if that's true, how are we going to bring this fruit to bear in the world in which we live? Okay, Todd, I, I want to I join you. I want to be involved in this thing that matters. I want to be involved in this thing that lasts and lasts and lasts. Okay, I want to get there. But then what is it that we need to do in order to accomplish this? Well, there's three things that I'm going to lay out for you that are going to kind of become an important rhythm as we go through John 14 through 17. In order for us to do this, let me just say this first one. We need to be the church to God first. It's been so interesting to me as I've, as I've watched what's going on at this particular time and, and the way that we're defining the church. I know one we've picked on a lot is this idea of a building. And, and let me just maybe pick on it one more time. Jesus didn't die for a building, He died for His people. These ones that were the love gift from the Father to the Son to sanctify them so that in dying for them again, he might then sanctify them and give them as a love gift right back to the Father. What we mean is is the church isn't a building. It's not programs. It's people who belong to God. You're going to catch this rhythm all throughout John 14 through 17 is that the church is not ours. It's his Three weeks ago, we were, we were leaving Cornerstone, and my dad, or my dad, my, my son looks at me and he goes, Dad, who owns the church? He goes, Do you own the church since you're in charge? No. We must never forget that who is in charge of the church is Jesus Christ, and how we shape her and form her is done in such a way that it reflects not us first and foremost primarily, but Him. The way in which we are going to create something that now declares to the world that matters, that is something that is going to last. The only thing is that 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 poem goes that lasts is what's done in Christ. So I want you to catch that reality as we're looking at it. Here's, Here's the second thing is. You're also going to catch not only is the church to be the church to God, but you're going to catch this rhythm that the church is to be the church to the church. You're going to see things like love one another. It's going to be a constant rhythm all throughout it. You're going to see these calls to unity. You're going to see this idea built within it that that, that we're to be now this group of people that are special and sanctified and set apart. But by the time you get to John 17, why? Why is this going to happen? Jesus says in there, so that the world might know that you've sent me. It's not just that we can be these groups of people that hang around and sing kumbaya in our circle separated from the world. But no, instead, we're to be this group of people that are in love with one another, that know each other in spite of all of our weaknesses and shortcomings and all the things that make us so difficult to love. And we do this now to be a proclamation to this one who is sent by God, Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I noticed that you're going to hear at least me talk about throughout it is, is that in order to be the church to the church, we've got to think about some things that I think are going to be hard. One of them is, is that right now, everything that you're studying, when you, when you look at the different kind of statistics that are out there, is that young people are leaving the church at an alarming rate. Now, I think we can use words like, you know, they're just a bunch of snowflakes, or you know what, that's just the way it is, and they're walking away. There's all kinds of things that we could say about that. But I think for those of us that are older, that have walked with Jesus maybe a little bit longer, maybe we need to start thinking about the church a little bit differently. See, the one thing that I've kept kind of hearing over and over again is my preferences about what the church is supposed to be. And I think what happens in that moment is the church then, when we, when we start to go down that position, we begin to make a kind of almost a comfy church just for us. But I think we're supposed to be, again, a church for the church. And if we want it to be something that matters, something that goes on and on, something that remains, something that is now, and we're getting into this idea of why I chose the word gem, and we'll, we'll unpack it a little more is we need to start thinking about what does it look like to pass that baton to the next generation. We need to think about how the church organizes itself and puts itself together in such a way because I really do feel that most of the young people that I talk to, the church just doesn't make sense to them. Why do we show up and sing some songs and hear a message and sing a song again? Why is it, Todd, that you get up and you give a giant monologue for 30 minutes or whatever? Why do we do those particular things? It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense even in their world when they look out at everything going on because we're still trying to answer questions from the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. Do you understand the world the kids live in now is so detached from the world that you lived in when you were a kid if you're someone who's older? We need to prepare our kids, not for the world as it was, but for the world as it is, and the world in which now we're moving into. And here is the beauty of the unchanging truth of God's word. Though the world might change, though everything may begin to feel topsy and turvy all around us. God's word has answers. It's unchangeable into the world in which we live in. But what it might mean is we might need to make churches that are more uncomfortable for us so that we can begin to engage and think about if we want the gospel to matter in the world, if we want the gospel to last, oh, we have got to figure out how to grip that next generation. Maybe I just feel that way because I'm a dad or I don't know what it is. But we have got to think about that next generation and how we might pass on the baton through discipleship of what God's called us to do next. So we need to be the church to God. That's preeminent. We need to be the church to the church. We need to understand that we need to set aside our preferences to be able to engage with with whoever it is within our church to be able to then pass that baton on. But let me say this. You're also going to run into this idea that the church needs to be the church To the world. Our world is a mess. I think anybody that's honest with themselves knows that. The sad part about it is, is, is I hear it from some within Cornerstone. I've thought things, but I'm seeing in the church, we are more proclaiming politics and preference in my wants and my needs and my rights than what we should be proclaiming, which is the greatness of Jesus Christ. We can't hide from the world. I always joke about this, and it's funny, like last time I was in, in Montana and in Wyoming, they don't even want us Californians to move there anyway. So just so you know, they, they don't want it. But we can't run from this. Do you understand within 10 years, eventually, all these things are going to be spreading to all different parts, especially the more Californians that move out and go to these places, it's going to continue to move there. And at some point, the church has to understand that we were designed not to operate when things are optimal. You cannot read scripture and you cannot look at church history and ever come up with that idea. The church keeps trying to think in the back of our heads. We need our rights. We need our different things in order for us to be the church. What are you talking about? The church doesn't need anything other than what God ordains and what He's doing. And like I said before, Scripture has the answers to what's ailing our world. We can speak into all issues around the identity of what is going on inside of us as humans and to what's going on in our chaotic world that seems to be falling apart. We have those answers, but we must be in the world and not of the world. We must create access to who we are. We must not view them as the enemy. The world is not our enemy. We are called to love our enemies. The enemy is Satan and his minions. we got to quit yelling and screaming at the world and telling them how stupid they are. We must be the church that, of God to the world so that the world might know that God the Father sent the Son. And here's the last word that I want to look at as we close up. We're the church to God. We're the church to the church. We're the church to the world. That our fruit should abide. Here's where our word gem comes in. It will last. When the church is this, when the church goes and bears this fruit that he has appointed us to go and to bear, when we start believing in the idea of that God choosing us and, and sending us on this mission in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is fruit that's going to last. But like in 1 Corinthians 3, we have to be careful because our tendency is to build with wood, hay, and stubble. Anytime we start building churches to make life more comfortable for us, more easy for us, more more pleasing to what we're doing, I promise you in the midst of all that is wood, hay, and stubble. But that stuff that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3 that is gold and silver and precious stone that is gems, that stuff are the things that are done in the power of the Holy Spirit, those things that only the Holy Spirit can do through us. I remember one time I heard that quote that if the Holy Spirit were to leave the church, we could potentially keep doing about 80% of what we do. I don't want that for Cornerstone. I want us to be a group of people that know we have to pray. We know that, man, that God can do powerful things within us. We have to believe John 14, 12 that says not only can we do the things that Jesus did, but he, he has this grand statement, you will do greater things than I Think about that. I think we have sold our birthright short. I think we don't understand fully what it means that I chose you and I appointed you and I've given everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness to be my witnesses into this world. You can go into even the most difficult and hard circumstances like Simi Valley, and I'm joking there. We can go into those things, and even in the midst of heartache and difficulty, I love this, It's fruit that abides. Go there. We need to get out into our community. But not only that, we're not just making disciples in Simi Valley. We also need to get our eyes back up off of ourselves. We've had a little bit of a lull. But we also need to see that God is seeking to go to the nations. I am so glad that those men decided to not stay in Judea. I'm so thankful those men took seriously what Jesus said and spread the gospel. And that's why it's so important that this truth of who Jesus is, this, this one that we've been abiding in for the first 100 days, and that gym to know him, love him, to place ourselves in his presence and pathway, to put ourselves in the most ideal situation so that we might take on his character, specifically the character of Jesus. That as we learned his, the rhythm and the, and the flow of who he is, like the jazz musicians catching it all so that we might now proclaim in a mighty way the music, the grandness of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. As we do that, it will abide. And that's why I want to study this. I think the older I get, I want to do something that matters. I want to do something that lasts. And if that's your heart, that's where we're going to go. So keep those three words in the back of your mind. Jim is the first one. Jazz is the second one. And the last one is Jim. It's going to sustain. I think these next nine or ten weeks are going to be Phenomenal. So I want you to dive into your Bibles. I want you to read John 14 through 17 with us. I want you to see how we're to be the church to God and how we're to be the church to the church and how we're to be the church to the world. I want you to see the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that comes in and dwells us to be the people God's intending us to be. I want to be that church. I want to be the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17 that the world might know that you've sent me. So would you just pray with me right now and let's pray that the Holy Spirit gives us just a sense of passion and excitement for what he's called us to. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for these last few hundred days that you've given us. Father, I pray that we would never exit the gym. I pray that we would have people that just consistently and together keep putting ourselves in a position to behold your glory, to see the greatness of who you are, to Put ourselves in your presence and pathway so that we might take on your character, that we might be godly, that we might be like your son Jesus. Father, in the midst of an angry world and a frustrated world, help us as cornerstone, help the other churches and see me. Father, help us not to be the angry, the vitriolic, the, the frustrated, the thinking somehow we need ideal circumstances, but help us to see that Jesus Christ, your son, and the early church didn't need ideal circumstances. You've given us everything we need to catch your rhythm and flow to join you in this world. Father, help us as elders and pastors and leaders and just people. Help us to just see the stuff that matters, the stuff that lasts. Help us to get rid of the things that aren't helping us to to truly be a church to you and be a church to, to the church, to be a church specifically, Father. I just feel like this passing this baton on to generation after generation after generation until Jesus returns Help us to be involved in that kind of lasting, but Father, also help us. Help us to be a church that is the church of the world. And so, Father, I beg you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, not through our power, would you do that in us, please? So we ask all these things in your Son's precious name. Amen.